in approaching today's passage, I, um, I want you to pay attention to, uh, to who the author is speaking to, which author is Paul. And uh, we've been, obviously, in Colossians for a while. So, uh, uh, by the way, I, I like today's message. I'm so glad I get to preach it. Uh, um, so, this is a great time. But I want you to, who is he talking to and who is he talking about? So, that's something important to, to understand, to understand the passage. Um, now, in this case, by the way, Paul is talking to the church. So, we have to we understand that. That's easy enough. Um, and I, I find the shift, though, interesting in, in the passage. It goes, it shifts from first person, uh, sing, uh, excuse me, yeah, first person singular to first person plural to second person plural and, uh, and repeats that over and over again. And those of you who like English, that gets you, okay? You're done. I want you to be able to understand that. So watch those things. It's very, I, I find it interesting. Uh, the second thing I want you to, to, to take note is the, um, because I think that's instructive in terms of understanding who he's talking to and why, why he's talking to those people. Um, and anytime we're studying scripture, that's important. Now, there are two imperative statements in this passage. We haven't even gotten there yet, so you don't know what they are. But there are two imperative statements with supporting applications that are, uh, provide a framework for understanding Paul message, Paul's message. And this is especially important when we realize that Paul is bringing the didactic or teaching portion of his letter to a close. That's why I'm happy I get to do this. After this, next week, uh, I think next week, um, they, they, we're going to talk about some people. And, uh, and that's going to be interesting. Either next week or the week after. I don't know when we get to it. Um, but, uh, but you're going to see some people and some interesting closure but, uh, but I, I'm, I'm excited that I get to preach this one. So that's, that's kind of my, my fun thing. Um, in verse 2 of chapter 4, verse 2 of chapter 4, and that's where we're going to pick up tonight, is in verse 2, chapter 4. And I, I want you to, we'll, we'll take a note, we'll read it in just a moment. But in verse 2, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. And then in verse 5, he's, Paul says, to conduct yourselves with wisdom. Devote yourselves to prayer. Conduct yourselves with wisdom. Within each of these sections, there are, um, are, are actually uh, further instructions so that we may know for certain how to obey the imperatives, the, the command that Paul gives us. Um, and, and we need to know how to obey that, and that's what we're going to talk about. And, but what we're to do is to exert diligence Exert diligence in prayer and to behave wisely in a lost world. These are Paul's final admonitions to the Colossians and hold to me a great significance, not only for the Colossian church, but for the church in general. That's you and I. Um, so we're going to look at that in just a moment. Let's go to the, to the book of Colossians, chapter 4, beginning with verse 2, and we'll read together. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read together? I just... Sometimes I just think we need to do that because I feel like we're in the presence of God um, when we're hearing from Him. In Russia, by the way, they, they stand for prayer as if in the presence of a king or a royalty. Um, I like to think of standing as He speaks to us. Um, either way, it's not a bad practice. For that matter, it wakes you up a little bit, right? So uh, chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word 
so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can walk away now. We've heard something from you. So we just pray that as, as we continue this time, that you would continue to speak to us, that we would know what your spirit is saying to your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we put, our, put your energies into a diligent prayer life. Put your energies into a diligent prayer life. He, said, he, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. And that's a strong word. Now recently I read that it, it, doesn't, if, it doesn't matter. No, sorry, I'll read it again because I read it and I'm reading it now. If it doesn't start with prayer, it doesn't start at all. If it doesn't start with prayer, it doesn't start at all. Go ahead, argue with that in your mind for a moment. If it doesn't start with prayer, it doesn't start at all. Now, your personal prayer life is a natural discipline. It is a natural discipline. Now, those two words don't normally go together, natural and discipline. Uh, for me, natural is being lazy. Uh, but but this, I, I'm going to say it's a natural discipline. Natural in that it emerges, it emerges out of a relationship with the supernatural Christ or the supreme Christ, uh, a, a, the sufficient Christ. Discipline in that it requires intentional effort to be most effective. So I, I go with a natural and with a discipline. I, I naturally relate to the Christ. See, we, throughout this series, we've repeatedly seen the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. We've seen that over and over and over again. And you might be thinking, I'm kind of tired of seeing it. Well, don't get tired of it. It's a great thing. It's a great reminder. And this is what we see. Jesus rescued us from the domain of darkness. He redeemed us. He is the image of the invisible God. By Him, all things were created. He is also the head of the body, the church. He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. I love those shifting of terms. He made you alive, forgave us. Okay? Um, he, he, he nailed our certificate of death to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and triumphed over them. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ, the Scripture told us, right, is our life. Now, I know you heard that from, some of that from Jim last week. I just want you to be remembering that as we come to the close of his teaching. How could we not very naturally turn to God in prayer? If all these things are true, how could we not, out of our very being, our very natural direction to move, move into the presence of God? That is prayer. The Gospels repeatedly show Jesus 
turning to his heavenly Father in prayer. He understood, and that was our example set before us. He acted like it was the most natural thing for him, where he had to get away and pray. We are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. So it should be natural for us to go in prayer. Consciousness of this fact makes prayer the most natural discipline of, of all the time. We should always be walking there. In fact, if you recall one place in the Scripture, uh, Paul tells another place, pray without ceasing. And it's just a natural thing. As I go through my day, if I know who He is, to be meeting with Him, to talk with Him. Just about the day. Just about what's happening. Paul also, excuse me, on the other hand, <laughs> got ahead of myself there, effective prayer requires effort. Don't you hate that? <laughs> I mean, it's natural, but for some reason in who I am, I, I need some discipline to get it done. The, the effort is described here as devotion, persistence, or steadfast continuing, depending on your translation. Therefore, prayer is natural at times of need. It is, it is born out of a lifestyle of meeting with God. Day to day, all the time, without ceasing. It's, it comes a part of our lives. To do this, though, I must give it thought. See, they don't go separate. They go hand in hand. What comes natural for me, I still need to give some thought. Uh, Paul, Paul also calls on the church to be alert, to stay awake in prayer. Now, that kind of reminds me of, of Peter, uh, Peter. Remember back in the garden, uh, Peter, John, and James, as they, they were brought into a circle, and they, you know, they're... There shall be praying, and then, of course, the, uh, the rest of the 12 uh, or uh, remained at that point, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the 11, and, and they're all over there, and Jesus says, stay awake, stay alert. Similar concept here. Stay alert, be aware, aware of what's going on, and then, of course, he'd have to keep coming to them. Can't you stay awake for one hour? Can't you stay alert? Can't you watch with me for one hour? Um, as life happens, most of the world is wishing and hoping. Have you ever noticed that? You know, um, I know we, we spend a lot of time with people in the world, and one of those things that people seem to say, oh, I just hope this works out, or I wish this, this would take place. I wish I could get a job. I wish I would win the lottery. You know, and there's a lot of hoping and wishing, but that's not what's written here. He calls, he's the follower of Christ, is to be watchful in life proactive in his or her response. When we notice something happening, we, and, and we will notice because we're watching, and we go to our natural discipline and we pray. If I see something happening on the street, I'm going to pray. If I see something going down, I'm going to pray. I'm going to be praying like, hey, can I get out of here quick? quick. Um, well, okay, I'll pray for them as well. But I'm going to pray. The diligent prayer life is permeated with an attitude of thanksgiving. But let me back up for a moment. Um, this word, by the way, talking about staying alert, um, and I was really, today, this afternoon, I was kind of like trying to find this concept or this, this, this story, and, and, I, and I hunted it down a little bit. But um, in, uh, in the city of Naples, uh, there's near, near Naples, Italy, there, is a, um, there was a volcano. Remember the volcano, Vesuvius? And I guess it's still there, but... Um, but the city of, of um, um, I knew I'd forget it when I got here. 
Pompeii, thank you. I'm just kind of like my brain sometimes fries if I don't write it in my notes. Um, but but it, the city of Pompeii, of course, was wiped out rather quickly from a horrible eruption of Vesuvius, right? But there, and all of the, the people who died kind of died where they were. And apparently, and I couldn't find a picture of it. I was hoping to find a picture. But apparently, uh, one of those persons who died in it was the, was the, the, the watchman, the, the lookout for the city that the Rome, Roman uh, government had placed there in charge. And, uh, and, of course, when all this thing came down, the people died pretty close to instantly. And where they died, doing what they were doing, their, their, uh, their bodies kind of like burned up but left a hollow spot. And, uh, and so when they found those hollow spots, the, 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 the archaeologists somehow went in there and poured something in to, uh, to mold what was there and, and amazing the detail that came out of that, of the life at that time, quite telling from what was it, 79 AD, uh, what was going on in that city. But this soldier, um, they, the, the um, watchman, was found with sword in hand standing at his post. That's kind of amazing. Um, he stayed where he was commanded to stay, watching, instead of, I don't know, running, hiding, ducking, doing something. He stayed there. I don't understand it. I don't know if it fully tells the story. But this is the idea. Christ has left us and said, watch. Watch. Be watchful. Be observant. And that's for two reasons. One is to be watchful for the enemy or watch for what's going on around you, to be aware but the other is just to watch for the hand of God. What is he wanting to do? And so in our prayer life, it, to be watchful, to see the hand of God, to see the activity that's going on around you so that you're aware and ready in prayer, specifically guided by him and the circumstance around you. Um, but anyway, the dil dil diligent prayer life is permeated with an attitude of thanksgiving. You know, be thankful I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle with that. Why, why is it so hard for me to be thankful? I have so much. And yet, he says to be thankful. He knows and answers your prayer. Your prayer, that is. Uh, James says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. There is all kinds of instructions to pray and expecting it to happen. God, you know, I mean, I'm sorry. Um, we, we cannot assume God's intervention, you see, because prayer is not an idle activity. It's to accomplish something. And we must ask for God's intervention. Don't think for a moment that your prayer is irrelevant. God wasn't bluffing when he told Moses to step aside so he could destroy the people of Israel and start a new nation through him. But Moses interceded, and God stopped that action. God responded to Gideon's prayer regarding the fleece. Remember that? He laid out the fleece, wanted it wet, then he wanted it dry. What? God did it. It was wet, then it was dry. It's amazing what God does. God was, how about the other one? Uh, to Hannah's prayer for a son. To David, repeatedly. To Nehemiah regarding the king. That is, remember, he was, he was like scared. And he said, 
Give me favor. As the king said, you know, your countenance doesn't look good. What's wrong with you? And uh, not a good place for the cupbearer to be uh, in the presence of the king. He was supposed to always smile and be happy. You ever know anybody expects that out of you? Yeah, sometimes I've seen. But, but Nehemiah prayed, and the Lord gave him favor with the king. To the early church, God responded to the early church in Acts 4, that they might speak the word with confidence right in the moment of their threats when they were beaten and sent away and said, don't talk about this anymore. So what did they pray? They prayed that God would give them boldness. And the place shook. And they had boldness. They got exactly what they prayed for in the face of those threats. So your, your, your personal and corporate prayer life impacts the world well beyond your circle. We, we talk a lot about our circle of accountability in our, in our church. You know, we talk about my circle, and you're getting trained to focus on my circle, who the people around you, how do you help them, how do you impact those people, and that's a good thing. We want to do that. We want to be people who are noticing who's around us. In fact, I'd say, when you notice them, pray. When you see them, Pray. When you go home, pray. When you go through your My Circle list, which I hope all of you have written down somewhere, you pray regularly. And that's great. But there's more to, you, to praying than just your circle. Paul was concerned that they seek God on behalf of kingdom work well beyond their circles. He said, pray also for us. Where is he? He's way far away. I think he's in prison still at that point. Pray for us. Who is us? We shifted gears, didn't we? It was always I, I, I. Now we've got this us. Pray for us. Who is us? It's his team. It's his missionary team. And he and his team needed God's intervention so that God would open the door for the team to, to do what? To present the word. There's a reason for this. They need to, the word of God is what goes out and accomplishes his purpose. That's the promise. What's he saying? Pray that opportunities will be there for us to present the Word, to, that the Word may go out. <laughs> he wanted the door to open for that. We often want to know, what does God do and what do we do, Right? We always talk, we, I don't know why we have these eternal debates in the church. Is it God or is it man? Well, it's always God or it isn't man, right? right? If, if it's not God, then man's not going to get anywhere. We know that. But this, I find it interesting that we raise that because in here we have an answer in terms of what does God do, what do we do when it comes to introducing the Christ story to the world. There's the answer. We pray. Okay? We pray. God opens the door. We don't open the door. God opens the door. That's what he says. Pray that God will open a door. We speak. We speak. Why is it? I mean, God could convince all of us, could he not? God could just say, repent, you know, from heaven. I mean, wouldn't, I mean, that would be, you know, if I heard that and 
thunder and clouds and the skies opening up, and angels hanging, gathering around, and God said, he could do it that way. He's perfectly capable. But for some reason, he's chosen you to speak. He doesn't do it. At least, not in that way. God, okay, we speak. God gives our speech clarity. Paul says that I might make it clear. He goes back to I for a moment. I, that I might make it clear what I should say. What I should say. We speak. God gives it clarity. You see, this prayer request is that God will give the result of clear and plain speech. In Ephesians, Paul asks, it's a very similar prayer, but he asks the, for the result of boldness. Both are needed. We need clarity in speech and we need boldness to do it. I don't know about you, but I'm eternally chicken. I, I give up on not being chicken. I am afraid. Now, in front of you guys, I'm not so chicken, although every time I stand to preach, I get a little knee knocking going on. I'm trying to think, can I, can I really do this? But when I'm out there in a lost world, I'm eternally chicken. Okay? I just confess that, just so you know. I need boldness from God to do it. I need clarity of speech, because I will, I guarantee you, mess it up without His help. Both are needed in getting the Christ story out. Paul asks for the whole team. I like that. He also asks for himself, personally. He has no delusion of being the super missionary that we kind of made him out to be. He needs help like you and me. He can't do it on his own any more than you and I can. The concluding application does not end with the call to prayer, though it leads to action. And, I, and when I first got assigned this passage, I'm like, oh, man, there are two sermons here at least, very nice, orderly sermons. So you're already to the second, so we're doing pretty good time-wise. Don't get panicky. Um, so we're going to start our second sermon, but here it is. Apply yourself to learn and practice wisdom in a lost world. Uh, yeah. Look at verse 5, verse five, I believe it is. Yes, verse 5. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. You know, conduct your... That your conduct, your behavior, your words make a difference in this world. <laughs> Those outside the church are actually watching and listening. Do you guys remember when you were without Christ? Anybody remember that day? Yes? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I even remember that. Um, even as old as I am. Um, I remember that. Without Christ. But if you think about it, um, didn't you watch what Christians were doing? Think about it. And sometimes they weren't, what they were, they were doing didn't, didn't impress you too much. And sometimes it really impressed you. If you came to Christ, a lot of times that's kind of, it was that moment where, wait a minute, it isn't so much about them, but that person seems to really know God. What is it about them? that they know God. Well, people are watching and they're listening. Occasionally, I read an article, by the way, or a blog re regarding some moral or political issue by, written by a Christian. Have you ever, you do that? I, I mean, the, the, 
the internet has totally changed my lifestyle. You know, I mean, I can know everything I didn't never even wanted or cared to know. And, um, and I can know it instantly, and I can waste tons and tons of time, particularly on things like Facebook. You know, I mean, talk about a waste of time. I'm sorry, but you can really waste time on Facebook. But I like these blogs. I read some of these things, and it's not, not that I like them. It's just that I read them because it helps me understand how people are thinking. I'm amazed how worldly people th find their way. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to re re rephrase it. I'm amazed how worldly people find their way into... Um, the subsequent thread of comments in these blogs or these com commentaries, how, how do they smell out an opportunity to blast so-called Christian ideas in our own forums? You know, like, hey, wait a minute. This is us. We're just talking to us. This is us talking. Go away. You know, but there they are. They're writing like, you're a bunch of idiots. Why are you even believe this stuff? Those kinds of things, right? The world, by the way, is watching. They're monitoring what we do. I mean, this isn't Russia. This is America here. We have, people are monitoring what we do because they're looking for an opportunity to slam the Christian world. I don't know why they do that. They just do. And recent, recent comments, recently I read that... that uh, about the immigration debate, right? That's a big deal now, especially the refugees, the young people coming across the border down south, coming from Honduras and other countries down that way in Central America. And um, uh, questions are in that debate are raised on both sides. You know, they're coming, they're coming through. But one that created the, the, the one that created a furor was when the commenter said he couldn't understand how a Christian would be against letting children into the country. For after all, isn't that what the Christian God is all about? Is loving people? Hmm. Now, I'm not going to enter that debate right now. I have an opinion. I always have an opinion. Mine's right, by the way. Every opinion I have is right. Um... But I'm not going to bless you with that right now because I really want to talk about the Word of God. Um, what I really want you to think about is realize that <laughs> all you say and do is being watched and critiqued. Now, I'm not saying this to make you paranoid. All right? Like, oh no, who's watching me? I'm saying it to make you aware. Remember? Awake. What's going on? What can I pray at that point? I can pray for that person who's watching me. I don't even know who they are. But somebody's watching me. Quite a lot. If you're in the world, very much so. Your neighbors are watching you. <laughs> they know. They know. They knew before I ever moved. Every neighborhood I've moved into, they seem to know that the Christian guy's moving in here. I don't know how they knew that. You know, the pastor's moving in. And remember, it's like, how do they know that? You know, I try to go incognito. I really like it that way. You know, I kind of sneak into a neighborhood so that they don't know that I'm a Christian and I'm going to sneak up on them. <laughs> and I'm going to tell them about Jesus, you know. And, uh, but, if, you know, once they know, they put the, the walls up, the barriers. They put alarms all around their house, you know. Cameras, our neighbors, right, they got the new, the new video camera, you know, the, the security camera pointing at their front yard so that we can't get there. No, that's not why. I don't think that's why. Um, 
But we need to be aware. Now, wisdom capitalizes on every moment. Now, in, in verse 5, he's, he, I think it's 5. Get it right. Um, he says, my translation says, making the most of the opportunity. And I, normally, I think that's the inspired version, New American Standard. Um, but, uh, but today, uh, you're, the ESV says, making the best use of time. And oh, that sounds so good. And, and it's accurate uh, in some ways. But, but King James, can you believe it? I'm about to say the King James is the best translation in this whole, uh, on this passage. The King James says, redeeming the time redeeming the time and why why am i so excited about that because i because it's like what does that mean you know redeeming the time think about it now redeeming means to buy back right have you ever bought back time that's impossible i had time and it's gone you can't buy back time you spent it and once you spend it it's gone so why does paul inspired by god say redeeming the time uh, well, I think we need to wisely purchase and use the time God has given us. And our purchasing it, our buying it, is current. It's ongoing. What you do with your time, all your time, is significant. It is important. And uh, though it may seem impossible, because you, 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 you spend your time only once and is gone, but, and, that's, and that's where those other translations come in. They're trying to explain this somehow, but they're not accurate enough. We need to buy back. We need to look at time as something that has to be bought up at all times. I, I do struggle with this. I really do. I feel that every moment should be purposeful. <laughs> However, I do enjoy a good movie every now and then. I enjoy just relaxing every now and then, right? Don't tell me you don't, okay? You enjoy doing things that might seem like not redeeming the time, but I, I, that's not what this is addressing. Paul is not talking about downtime or a break or a movie. However, think about this. When you are with a lost world, now I don't mean just when you are with a lost world, but I want you to think, focus for a moment. When you are with a lost world, your actions should reflect the character of Christ. Your actions should reflect the character of Christ. Even if you are watching a movie. I want to step on toes and I don't want to step on toes, but let's just think about this. Even if you're watching a movie, when you're watching a movie and it's, you know, I mean, like, sorry to use one of my fun movies, like, uh, but I'm not going to say it because I can't think of the name of it. And that's really, really good at the moment. Um, even if you're watching movies with a not yet Christian, your choice of movie, your reaction to questionable parts in that movie, which it's really hard to watch a movie that does not have questionable parts. Just right. I mean, let's be honest. Um, And your behavior in the presence of the world is to be redemptive. See, how I respond to those pieces matters. 
You know, if I watch a movie and there's a questionable part, I should say, "Ah, that's a questionable part. Well, not in those necessary words, but (laughs) you get it, right? Everything I do should be redemptive. Everything I say should be redemptive toward your time usage and toward the person. I need to buy the time. I need to buy the person. I want to be, uh, I want to be redemptive in my actions. In, one of my, in my words. Wisdom speaks as if God were speaking through you. Paul describes gracious speech in terms and attitudes seasoned with salt, he says. Salt was used to keep food from spoiling and to give flavor, right? You know, one or the other. Still is in many places. Therefore, uh, (laughs) that's kind of a dumb statement. Therefore, respond to the world with words and intonation that will accomplish God's purpose. Have you ever gotten mad at your waitress? Yeah, probably. Person is working on your car? Yeah. The car that cuts you off. Yeah. How do I handle that? Lay on the horn, of course, right? Um, how I respond? Run them off. I mean, you know, I've been tempted to do that a few times. You know, get right up on their tail. You ever do that with an 18-wheeler? It's like, what are you thinking? <laughs> Wasn't, obviously. Speak in such a way as to encourage people toward the ways of God. Wholesome. Morally healthy words. Now, we don't like those words even. Do you like that word, wholesome? Like, we almost like, ew, yuck, wholesome. I mean, that's kind of like, kind of way like old school stuff, you know, wholesome. I don't want, you know, life is about being cutting edge and really interesting and fresh. Oh, by the way, interesting is good. I'll talk about that in a moment. Then, then is now conversations quickly strayed into destructive realms. It's nothing new under the sun, Solomon tells us, and I don't think so here either. He said, th- this instruction is, is, a, is positive and it's negative here. He says, it, it, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I've just kind of got to remember what it, what it says. He says in verse 6, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Um, the, this instruction is positive and negative. That's where I was going. Positive in uplifting talk. I want to build people up. I want to be edifying to people. I want to encourage people. Negative, in avoiding tearing down the hearers. I don't need to be, let's face it, I don't need to be using sarcasm. I love to use sarcasm. But we're not to use sarcasm unless we're really careful because that means to tear down. We don't want to do that. We want to build up people, all people, not just the body of Christ, although I think that's quite important. Uh, salt also gives flavor. Uh, the good news of Christ is not boring. Now, sometimes you may think I'm boring, okay? I'm sorry. I do my best. You know, but, but hopefully we're, we're not making the gospel boring. You know, the teaching of Scripture are interesting. They're witty. They're appealing. You know, I mean, what the Bible says is very, very profound. It's very interesting. I read today the Song of Solomon. That's not boring. Right? I mean, I read all eight chapters. It's interesting. I don't understand it, but it's interesting. I certainly understand the love stuff. That's good. For marriage, by the way. Just kind of keep it, keep it on track here. 
By the way, if you're not married yet and you're going to get married, it's a good book to read. Uh, I was re- it was recommended to us that we read it on our honeymoon night together. Don't do that. It is weird, okay? And uh, uh, <clears throat> I just don't recommend it, you know? Uh, but not in my notes, hon, just so you know, not in my notes. Um, so nobody can give out. This isn't really recorded, is it? Um, when, when, when we speak to the world, or for that matter, among ourselves, we should reflect that appeal. I mean, we're, we're, we should be the, the best ambassadors for Christ and for His kingdom. That ever what? Because it is so amazing what He's done. The cross itself. How many movies, how many books have been written about the cross itself? Why? Because it's interesting. I I love to hear a good story. If the story points me to God, so much the better. Tell me a story. I'm not a good storyteller, but tell me a story that points me to God, and I'm I'm really, I'm with you. I'm ready. You know, I said earlier, if it doesn't start with prayer, it doesn't start at all. We're not going to be able to communicate at that level if we're not beginning our lives, our days, our, our conversations with prayer. Now, when, when Nehemiah prayed, he didn't pray out loud. <laughs> Come on, he's in the presence of the king. But I, he did send that arrow prayer up. He was ready. He'd already had a lifestyle of prayer. If God were to answer, now here's another question I want you to ask yourselves. If God were to answer all, think about it now, I want you to listen carefully to my question. If God were to answer all your prayers with yes, how would the kingdom be furthered? If God were to answer all your prayers, yes, how would the kingdom be furthered? You think about those people I talked about, their prayer life, their prayers. They they brought a kingdom, they made a kingdom difference. Think about that. Finally, if your behavior and words were all the world could see, would they see God? Father, we pray that as we uh, contemplate what we heard tonight, that, that we would remember that, uh, that we represent you in every aspect of life. Help us to pray and make a difference in our praying. And help us to act and speak for your glory and for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.